Hi, my name is Leslie Rogers. I'm a surgical nurse and I've been in nursing for 48 years. And for me, nursing is um, going to work every day and giving my best to every patient that I take care of and trying to make a difference in their life. Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. I am Dr. J. This is a nonprofit podcast aimed to promote cultural understanding by exploring how people do things in different corners of the world. Please visit the website culturreum.com, C U L T U R E U M.com, or the Instagram pages at DRJ Podcast or at Quadel, Q U A D Y L L E. For more information. This episode is entitled Nursing, TV series such as MASH, ER, Grey's Anatomy, Scrubs have all brought the nursing profession into everybody's living rooms. One of the central characters in Hemingway's novel A Farewell to Arms is a nurse. The book was made into a popular movie and brought considerable attention to nursing. The Julia Roberts character in Steel Magnolias is a nurse. The Ben Stiller character in Meet the Parents is a nurse. Nurse Betty puts an interesting twist on the topic of nursing. Philip Seymour Hoffman portrays an incredibly nurturing and caring nurse in Magnolia. And then, of course, who could forget Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Or Heath Ledger as a joker slash nurse in the Batman movie, The Dark Knight? Or yet again, Nurse Mayflower in Fargo, season four? Popular media and literature, be it books, TV series, or movies, often focuses on nurses. The good, the bad, the female, the male, various ethnicities and walks of life, and of different nationalities. There are many famous real-life nurses as well. Florence Nightingale is the best-known nurse of the 1950s. She helped British soldiers during the Crimean War. Mother Teresa was the Macedonian nun who became a nurse to help the poor in Calcutta. Clara Barton nursed her brother Davy back to health after a dangerous fall that resulted in two broken legs. She later founded the American Red Cross and helped soldiers in the American Civil War. Dorothea Dix fought as a nurse for the mentally ill. Margaret Sanger founded Planned Parenthood, and the list goes on and on. But the term nurse existed long before it became a defined occupation. In Shakespeare's plays, the nurse is the governess, the one who helps the young noble lady dress and get on with her day. Nurses, as in wet nurses, have been used throughout the centuries and in many cultures around the world, mainly by the wealthy. Infants were taken to the village nurse who would breastfeed and take care of the babies until they were ready to eat solid foods and rejoin their families. But also abandoned babies or ones that had lost their mother were fed by wet nurses until formula was invented in the 20th century. The role of the nurse as the one who took care of sick people was historically just a woman from the village or from the actual household of the person who had fallen ill. But anyone could basically call him or herself a nurse until the 1920s. And an actual definition of nursing came about in the late 1940s. Originally, nurses took care of patients in big rooms of 30 to 50 patients, 
And it's interesting, actually, hospitals, except in wars, of course, um, were not used by the seriously ill. The truly sick were refused because they were contagious or beyond help. Today, nursing is a well-defined occupation requiring specific schooling, degrees, qualifications. It is a lucrative and esteemed occupation around the world. It comes with an extremely high job satisfaction taken from being able to directly help people. It offers flexible hours and great benefits, including a work wardrobe. But there is a shortage of nurses. Nurses are notoriously overworked. The job comes with long hours and incredible physical, psychological, and emotional pressure. The responsibility is enormous. Here today on the podcast to talk to me about all this is Leslie Rogers. Leslie is a surgical registered nurse with 48 years of experience. She is a nurse's representative at a major hospital in Kansas City, Missouri. Leslie is married and has three grown children. Welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Thank you. So where should we begin? Maybe the reason I became a nurse. Wonderful. Why did you become a nurse? So many people don't know that um, I made a decision early on in my life um, at the age of five that I wanted to become a nurse because that was the age I discovered that my own mother was a nurse. She had... um, married and had worked for a couple of years and then when she started having children then she stayed at home and so um, when I was five years old there was a large tornado that came through our area and um, caused a lot of damage and in the middle of the night my father drove my mother to the damaged area to see um, if there were people that needed assistance and help and she went to a local doctor's office where we were patients and assisted the doctor Uh, through the doctors through the night, um, sewing up lacerations, taking care of minor injuries. The major ones, of course, had to be taken to a hospital. And so when my mother came home the next morning, I wasn't sure where she had been. My father had taken us home and put us in bed. And that's when I discovered that my mother was a nurse and that she was just taking a hiatus from her nursing career while she had four children. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. So I really made that decision pretty early on. And did your mother go back to work? She did. When I was 10, she went back to work after she had had four children, and um, she worked for another 23 years. Oh, wow. Wow. So. And so at age five, you decided to become a nurse. Yeah, and I never never changed my mind. I never looked back. Okay. So maybe tell the listeners how, how does one become a nurse in the United States? It is completely different, I know, um, in Germany and different parts of the world. So what are the qualifications um, or the different steps and paths a nurse can choose? So to be a registered nurse in the United States, um, there are a couple of different paths that you can take. You can become an associate degree nurse where you go to school for two years and come out with your ADN. You can go to a diploma school, of which there are not very many left in the country, which is a three-year program. Or you can go to a bachelor's program, which is what I did, and go for four years and come out with a bachelor of science in nursing. Mm -hmm. Then if you choose to... This is after high school. This is after high school. Mm -hmm. If you choose to go on and further your education, you can get your master's or PhD in nursing. Mm -hmm. You can choose to go into nurse anesthesia, 
or you can be a nurse practitioner, you can be a midwife, so there's many different options now available. Um, at the time that I graduated from nursing in 1973, um, you could become an educator with a master's in nursing, or you could become a midwife, and so those opportunities have been greatly expanded over the years, so nurses have many opportunities now. Mm -hmm. Would you mind going into each of these? So you said you can become a registered nurse practitioner. What does that mean exactly? What what can you then do? It, that's, that's if you have a master's degree. Yes, so you have your basic nursing. Before you can become a registered nurse practitioner, you have to have a bachelor's in nursing. So if you went to a diploma program or an associate degree program, you have to go back and finish a bachelor's and then get accepted into a master's program. And those last usually three to five years. So what if you didn't? What if you just did a two-year or three-year three program? What responsibilities or what, what duties are you not allowed to, to, to take over? So a nurse practitioner um, has the ability to work alongside a, a physician and work under his or her orders. And so they can examine patients and make recommendations. They can write certain prescriptions um, under the jurisdiction of that physician in their office and they are typically um, associated with a specific group of doctors or individual doctor in their office but they can also be hired by a facility such as a, a hospital to work um, throughout and doing many different things. So a nurse practitioner could work um, with anesthesia for example and do the pre-op anesthesia visit and um, do the footwork, so to speak, before the anesthesiologist sees the patient. Um, they might work with a trauma team in the ER and assist in surgery or um, help out in the emergency room and making decisions about what direction they need to go. And so they might be the boots on the floor first running to make some decisions initially and then confer with their physicians. We have advanced registered nurses in the operating room where I work that assist the doctors in surgery itself. So um, there's nurses in um, pediatric offices and obstetrics, so many different areas that they can choose to work in. Mm -hmm. But what I mean is what, what can the two-year nurse, the nurse with a two-year degree, not do? So the nurse with a two-year degree, a three-year degree, or a Bachelor of Science in Nursing cannot write prescriptions and cannot make initial diagnosis um, separate from the physician or anything. What I'm trying to understand is sort of what's the benefit of doing a two-year program or three-year program or four-year program? So the, the current situation in the United States is a nurse who has gone to an associate's degree or a nurse who's gone to a Bachelor of Science in Nursing take the exact same uh, boards. Oh, so, so they boards. pass their boards, they're hired as a registered nurse. It's just if they choose to go on and get additional education, they have to achieve the Bachelor of Science first. Okay, okay. So it's, so, so it's more that. So, so if you do a two-year degree, three-year degree, or four-year degree, you end up doing the same work. Um, if you choose, if you'd like to get a master's or a PhD and sort of do further education, then you have to do the four-year degree. Correct. Okay. And then if you choose to go into some kind of a managerial program, most expectations so that you have your bachelor's working on your master's and achieving your master's in a certain period of time. Okay, and what is the master's? The master's gets you to have a managerial role or to teach or to, what, what else can you do with a master's degree then? You can also see patients on your own in the on doctor's your office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Write some prescriptions. Mm -hmm. you, can walk in, you can work in a walk-in clinic, mm -hmm. urgent care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, PhD? Yes, so many of the programs are now switching over to an end result of a PhD, specifically in anesthesia. 
for example. And so that their programs have been expanded for a longer period of time, and they come out with a PhD in nurse anesthesia. Mm-hmm. And um, the nurses that um, come work in the operating room and, and um, work alongside the anesthesiologist are in complete control of their room. They're overseen by a physician because that's a law. That's the regulations for joint commission and so forth. But they put the patients to sleep. They wake them up. They administer all the medications. They can do spinal anesthesia. So they can do many, many things. Oh, is that right? Yes. And for that, you'd have to have a PhD, though. Well, we have nurse anesthetists who have a master's because they have their anesthesia degree before the PhD program was initiated. But now many of these programs are trans- transferring over to a PhD program. Okay. Okay. But well, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, um, I wish my husband were here because I could ask him, but I don't think you can do that in Germany. But I do know that you can do that in, in, in Hungary, for example. Okay. So it's, it's interesting how the, how the systems compare. But, right. But, um, so you mentioned other specialties as well. So anesthesia, midwifery, um, I think cardiac nurses, or are there other specialties that are specific, that, that require specific education? Well, I, I mentioned that if you went to work for a, a group of trauma surgeons, they may be wanting specifically a nurse practitioner who could help them um, on a different level than if they hired a registered nurse that didn't have the ability to do the diagnosis and um, prescriptions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what percentage of nurses actually go on to medical school, for example? That's one of the things that sort of um, I, I taught medical students mm-hmm. and uh, a large percentage of the medical students were um, nurses, previously uh, trained nurses, and they were the best students because <laughs> they were mature, they knew what they wanted, they were focused. So I, I really enjoyed having those students. I don't know what the percentage is, but I do personally know a couple of nurses who um, were nurse anesthetists who became anesthesiologists and were actually accepted as either a third or four year med student as opposed to coming in as year one med student because they already had their master's in nursing. That's interesting. And so their path was a little bit shorter mm-hmm. as a result of that because mm-hmm. they were coming in with a vast amount of knowledge. Sure, sure. So tell us what your day as a nurse, how does the day of a nurse begin? What do you do? Give us an idea of the actual work. So my entire career has been spent in the operating room itself. So my day looks a lot different than the nurses who you might remember um, as a patient in the hospital. Most patients don't remember their nurses in the operating room because the drugs affect their ability to have that memory. But um, in the operating room, you take care of one patient at a time, whereas on the floor, you might have four, five, six patients at a time. And so our focus is specifically on one individual, and it's geared towards that specific procedure that they're having done, whatever their surgery might be. So on a daily basis, you might be in a cardiovascular area, or you might be in an orthopedic area, or general surgery, ENT, gynecology. So day-to-day, your schedule can vary, although um, the tendency is to have teams. And so you might be on the orthopedic team, and most of the time you spend your, your days in orthopedic surgery. So it depends on how large the facility is that you're working in. Um, If there's a facility that has four or five operating rooms, you probably do many, many different things. If you have a facility that has 30 operating rooms, they probably have teams, and you're only specifically on that team. 
So we work hand in hand with the anesthesiologist, the nurse anesthetist, and the surgical assistant that is assigned to the room along with the surgeon. And so it's a very um, team-focused effort that you work with that same group of people, typically for the entire shift that you're working. And um, so when the nurse is on the floor, they, they encounter many different people and many different physicians and many different specialties perhaps, whereas in the operating room we're a little more team-focused. Um, we're very fortunate in the operating room that because of the standards that are set up by the American Operating Room Nurses Association and Joint Commission, we have the opportunity to have staggered shifts where nurses come in early in the morning and start the cases and maybe another couple of nurses come in and go throughout the department to see what the needs are of the department, whether it's getting additional supplies for that particular case uh, pulling instruments and giving breaks to the nurses and taking over the room because, of course, you can never be out of the room without someone being in attendance to that patient because they're under general anesthesia most of the time. So um, it's been a really fortunate thing for me that in my 48-year career, they feed me every day, so to speak. I get to go to lunch, and unfortunately, the nurses on the floor don't have that same opportunity. They don't have staggered shifts in most cases, with the exception of the state of California, which is state law, um, the nurse-to-patient ratio. And so that's something that's near and dear to my heart, that um, we continue to make that effort to be universal throughout the entire country, because we know that um, if it's possible to do that in the operating room, it should be possible to do it in all areas of nursing. And I think that contributes to the burnout that people experience. And that when you are a patient on the floor, you may encounter nurses who have two or three years of experience. Whereas when you come to the operating room, it would not be an uncommon thing to encounter a nurse who's got 30 or 40 years of experience because the level of burnout is much smaller than the level of burnout on the general floor. And um, that saddens my heart because um, we have so many disciplined and determined and dedicated individuals, men and women, who have such great intentions when they start out in the nursing career of what they want to do with that career, but find themselves many times shifting gears because of the burnout and the day-to-day -day pressures that are put upon them. And um, it saddens my heart when somebody decides to leave nursing altogether. Today, there's an overwhelming number of younger nurses coming into the field who have their eye set on a higher level of nursing because they don't want to be doing the bedside nursing. They see it as a stepping stone. They're going into nursing for different reasons than I did. When I became a nurse 48 years ago, uh, the options available to women were much smaller. You could be a nurse, you could be a teacher, you could be a secretary, or you could be a stay-at-home mom. Those were kind of the general areas that you could choose. Women, especially today, not to um, take away from the men that have gone into nursing, but women, especially today, have so many options available to them that as they're going through their um, educational process, they're sorting through all of these options and realizing what they can do. And therefore, our numbers are down as far as how many people are choosing to go into nursing. But then once they get into nursing, they realize 
I can go on and get my master's and or my PhD and choose a different kind of nursing where I don't have to take care of six people all at the same time and I don't have to stand on my feet 12 hours and not have lunch and I don't have to continue to pick up extra shifts because there's not enough of us. And so those are the things that um, as I'm ending my career and exiting out of the nursing profession that I'm concerned about who I'm leaving behind and what direction um, in general we are headed. Beautiful. I said that really beautifully. Um, so you, you mentioned um, bedside nursing and sort of that's what's what's um, lacking or that's what that's what has a lot of the pressures and that's what a lot of the nurses are getting out of isn't that I, at the, at the, in, the, in the introduction I mentioned all these different movies all these little almost stereotypes of nursing mm-hmm. isn't that at the core of nursing all these others uh, uh, nursing professions that you also mentioned are highly specialized are almost uh, more evolved from the basic concept of nursing how do you, how do you feel about that sort of the bedside uh, nursing and, and how important that is and how significant that is to the patient's well-being, to the procedure going well, to the whole stru- hospital structure. So bedside nursing, um, not to make it sound negative, but it's, it is so basic and so necessary. If you do not have qualified individuals that are taking care of the patients on the floor, many things can get missed or overlooked. So they are the people, the the nurses that are on the the floors, the bedside nurses, are the ones that are doing the constant evaluation of the patient's situation. They're the ones that are picking up on the signs and symptoms of something going well or not going well. They are the ones who are relaying the important information to the physician and or the other specialists that might be taking care of them in their stay at the hospital. And the more patients that they're taking care of, the less time they have to be making those initial assessments of what's going on. And so now, instead of it being picked up early on, it might be overlooked and picked up after it's moved to the next step to a more critical situation. And so that is the concern that I have about how many individuals, patients, the nurses are taking care of and how fatigued they are, and how worn down they are, and how burned out they are, that some of the basic things are being completely missed. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's a huge red flag for nursing in general, is that um, when you have the opportunity, even if it's just to have a quick conversation with the patient and be able to assess their pain level, to be able to assess whether they're they feel like they can eat or not eat, to be able to assess whether or not um, they're mentally stable or depressed or whatever the situation is, a nurse can turn that patient's situation around quickly with a quick assessment. But if they're only in there, here and there and yonder, because they have so much going on, those are the basics that are missed that add to the trauma of their recuperation and or their Um, improvement to the point that they go home a better person or do they go to a nursing home or do they pass away Mm -hmm. in preparation for this interview I was reading um, about nursing in different countries and I know that for example in India in, in, in various countries around the world 
bedside nursing is still to this day left up to the family. Um, how do you feel about that, or, or, or can you shed any light on that? Or, or um, I, I found that surprising and interesting, and and tried to sort of even understand the concept and how that would work in a hospital setting. Maybe you could shed so, some light. So, um, not of recent, but in my past, I had the opportunity to. Um, participate in some health missions in other countries. I had the opportunity to go to the Dominican Republic and Guatemala and Honduras. And so I was able to witness, um, to a certain extent, the kind of nursing care that people were receiving in those countries. I was there because of a major disaster that had happened. And so our focus was um, emergency treatment and that sort of thing. But um, I've always been aware that in other countries, um, not as well off as the United States might be, that um, if you have a family member, they might be the ones giving you all the food that you're going to get while you're in the hospital, and that's a very foreign concept. Just just very quickly to the listeners, what you're hearing in the background is the Kansas rain. It has started. It's, it's, there's a storm outside, so if the mics are picking that up, it's just the rain, everybody. It's just the rain. <laughs> it's just the rain. Sorry, Leslie. No. Um, and, and that used to be how it was in the early years of healthcare here in the United States too. But as we transitioned into a more professional situation, then we had dietitians that were hired to um, prepare and, and plan the menus for the patients. And we had nursing assistants who assisted the patients in eating and the nurses to oversee and make sure that they received the proper um, food and nutrition that they needed. But yes, I know that that is a a thing that happens in many other countries, and um, it's it's an amazing thing. When we entered into this pandemic, um, one of the first things that we noticed when we had to eliminate visitors were things that were being not picked up on and missed because the family, lots of times, catches something and calls the nurse or the assistant that's helping out in the room, the patient care technician. And so um, nurses were feeling even more burdened because of the pandemic, because there wasn't that family member sitting there in the room picking up on some of the things that um, they didn't have an opportunity to because they had so many patients. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, that's in the United States, right? So, so maybe something in between, maybe support of the family is kind of still important. Oh, I in addition to the, the bedside. Yeah, bed, absolutely. Um, bedside. Support of the family is huge um, because um, if nothing else, it helps the patient emotionally and mentally feel um, better about their situation, having their loved one there. Um, it was so tragic hearing and seeing on the news and reading in, in magazines and papers about individual family situations that were dying from COVID by themselves except the nurse that was there by their side. And, and we know that um, our intensive care nurses went through living hell trying to be there for all of the patients that they had where there was no family member there. And having a family member on the phone or on FaceTime so that they could see their loved one for the last time and being the person that was holding their hand <clears throat> I, I personally know several nurses who, after a while, couldn't do it anymore and just had to walk away from their career in ICU because they were so emotionally distraught over all the patients that they had cared for, whether it was two hours, 
or five weeks or whatever it was, only to know that the path ended in death and the family members couldn't be in the hospital with them and how sad that was and knowing that they were probably in their cars out in the parking lot crying but knowing they couldn't come in. It, it was just a total different picture of nursing care that we've ever, ever encountered. Thank you for sharing that. I think I think what, what nurses around the world went through with this pandemic is is incredible. I think it's yeah. I think I think we can't really truly understand it. I think we can't. We can only get a sort of fraction of it and kind of try to understand it superficially. But I think when you're firsthand um, through experiences like that, I think it's just yeah. I I don't know if I would have had to step aside from nursing if I had been an ICU nurse at the height of the pandemic. Um, mm. I, I was blessed and fortunate that even though I did care for COVID patients in the operating room, it was planned, we were prepared, we had special equipment, we had the proper protective equipment to wear in the operating room, whereas nurses who were working in the emergency room or intensive care might have received a patient prior to knowing if they indeed had COVID, only to be exposed themselves and not sure they could go home to their family. I knew nurses who didn't see their families for three and four weeks at a time and lived with a friend who was also a nurse because they were concerned about going home to their children and or passing that off to their family. Um, in my own particular situation, um, my husband and I were in the process of, of building a home and while we were in that process, the pandemic hit and we had temporarily moved in with my mother and at the time she was almost 95 and so um, for nine months I didn't eat with my mother and I didn't sit in the same room with my mother I would come into the house and immediately turn opposite of where she was I would call her ahead of time and say I'm pulling into the driveway and she would go into the back of the house and I would come in the front door and go into the bedroom where we were staying and my husband would bring my food to me and so from March until December I didn't eat a single meal with my mother even though I was in the same home with her and I always had a mask on um, as I came into the house and didn't take that mask off until I knew that I was in a completely separate area of the house that would not potentially cause her any harm or damage so um, when I had the opportunity to be vaccinated last December, it was a joyous occasion. And after I was fully vaccinated in January, late January, um, I didn't eat with my mother until then. And then she was able to get vaccinated because of her age and my husband as well. And so um, we had our own little bubble, so to speak. But um, after I was vaccinated, until she had the opportunity to receive that vaccination, I would sit in the living room but wear a mask when I was in the living room with her. Mm -hmm. And so I was fortunate that um, I had a portion of the house to go to, but I valued my mother's life and didn't want to risk any harm coming to her. But again, I didn't have... COVID patients every single day for all 12 hours of a shift. And so I was just taking extra precautions, so to speak, because of her age, not wanting to um, expose her, the possibility of being exposed. And I think that's the, the, 
beyond the dedication and the time and what you were saying, the pressure and all the all these aspects of nursing, these personal sacrifices are also, I think, incredible. What nurses actually <laughs> take home um, is also quite a lot of baggage and a lot. And then um, it would it would be um, so remiss of me if I didn't mention that one of the nurses in the hospital that I work at um, lost her life to COVID because she was exposed to a COVID patient before she had the proper PPE. And um, there were two nurses caring for this patient, and they both contracted COVID. One was much younger and survived. The other one was my age and did not. And so um, it brought home to all of us in our own facility um, just how dangerous the pandemic is. And um, there were many nurses that we lost throughout the country and the whole world from this pandemic. <clears throat> and even though some people might say, well, you knew what you were getting into when you went into nursing, I would, I would say, well, yes, of course I knew that I wanted to care for people and I knew I wanted to care for people who were sick, but I didn't plan on exposing, being exposed and taking it home to my family and or possibly causing harm to my family. That's not why I became a nurse. So um, a lot of good has come about recently with um, OSHA making changes and instigating an emergency um, order that everyone in the healthcare facilities in the United States has to follow. It was the first time changes have been made in this regard by OSHA since 1983. And those changes went into effect in July of this year. And um, we do have the proper PPE, and um, there are a few occasions when maybe there's a shortage, but not in comparison to what it was a year ago and um, to the guidelines that have to be followed with OSHA. We have listeners all around the world. Um, really, I think we're in, I don't know, 40-some countries. So for, for some of the listeners who might not know, would you mind explaining what PPE is and what OSHA are? So PPE stands for uh, Personal Protective Equipment. It can range from uh, gowns, gloves, masks, and what is known as pappers. It's a hooded system you might have seen um, on TV for sure. Someone in a hooded system all over the world, they have pappers. And so, um, it, it, and having rooms that are special negative air pressure rooms that the air is turned over so many times per hour. And um, so that is basically what PPE is, is having protective equipment that you put on yourself. And in the beginning of the, pan of the pandemic, you would be issued your equipment and you would wear it for the entire 12-hour shift. And when it came to a certain kind of mask known as an N95, you would maybe wear it five and six days, whereas the initial understanding of an N95 is that you wear it for one patient each time that you're going in, that you change that mask out for each time. But there was such a nationwide shortage that we were issued equipment that was expected to be used multiple times. And um, that was one of the biggest changes that OSHA has brought about. And OSHA stands for Occupational Safety and Health Association. And they dictate and mandate many standards that all organizations have to follow in regards to safety and health across the United States. Are there any other pandemics or have there been other um, 
diseases or where you've seen this implemented, where this, where the implementation of these measures were really important in your career? Yes. So in 2014, the Ebola crisis actually came to the United States, not on the same magnitude that we are experiencing COVID, of course, but um, there were a couple of nurses down in Texas who um, miraculously did not die that had not been provided the proper PPE that uh, were exposed to a patient that they were taking care of that did come and have the Ebola uh, virus. So in 2014, the Ebola crisis came to the United States. Uh, we'd heard about it in Africa, of course, but um, when it came over by people you know, traveling and so forth, uh, we were not prepared with proper equipment for nurses to wear and understand how it's transmitted and so forth. And so two nurses almost lost their life. And as a result of that, the nurses union that I work with um, that's basically out of California and then all across the country actually were able to pass a state law that it was a law that nurses have the right to be trained properly and have the proper equipment to protect themselves. And here we find ourselves six years later in the COVID pandemic um, fighting for that as well all across the country and making huge strides in that. And so um, I'm really proud of the union that I'm associated with, um, National Nurses United, so that um, we are making a big difference in people's lives, nurses' lives, patients' lives. Anything else you'd like to say about the COVID pandemic? I think the medical profession was hit really hard around the world, across the globe. I think it would be really interesting to know firsthand a nurse's perspective from the United States. Well, you know, in the very beginning, I think we sat and watched what was going on outside of the United States, thinking that it could never happen to us. And I think probably for the first time in most of our lives, and maybe even thinking about our previous ancestors, that we have come to the realization that we are not as isolated as we would like to think we are and that we are part of this world and that what happens somewhere else can truly happen here. And um, I have a daughter who lives in Europe and the vaccination rate in Europe is so much higher than it is here in the United States. And um, it causes me sadness to think that um, so many divisive ideas have come into play and, and made this a situation where we are pitted against one another over something that just seems, for me, so natural that we should all come together about this. And so um, I'm happy that um, we are making certain progressive steps. I'm happy that um, in, at least in some areas our numbers are down from what they were at least this summer. Um, but I'm still concerned about the fact that we're facing winter and we know that the flu season is upon us and, and we know that people will succumb to certain illnesses uh, at certain times of the year more than others. And so I think we still need to continue to be progressive. I still think we need to be concerned still and not let our guard down. And, um, and I think, hopefully, that here in the United States, we can maybe for the first time start to think outside the box and start to think about others and not just ourselves. I think that um, as a country, we find ourselves in a very selfish situation so many times. So let's go back to something that we started with, um, basic nursing and the idea of nursing. Um, we have discussed so many aspects of nursing so far. What 
is at the core of nursing for you. There's obviously medical knowledge. There's assistance to the physician. There is working with the hospital. There's equipment. There is the psychological factor. There's the human factor, the emotional uh, factor. What is nursing for you and what is at the core of nursing for you? Well, I think the underlying drive that I have is that every day when I go to work, my foremost goal is just to try to make things better for the person that I'm taking care of. And I know that when they wake up, they're going to have a certain amount of pain, obviously, because they've had surgery, because that's the area that I'm in. But every time I meet a patient, my goal is to help them improve, help them get better. So, you know, maybe they're there for a hernia repair or a gallbladder surgery, or maybe it's more devastating like breast cancer. But for me, um, I only have a short period of time when that patient's awake before they go to sleep. And maybe it's five minutes upstairs talking to them before I take them down. But I have an opportunity when I'm in the operating room with them to be by their side, to hold their hand, to be reassuring to them that um, I'm going to take good care of them while they're there. And I guess for me, I've always just approached it if it was my family member on that table. What would I want them to experience? Nursing has been extremely rewarding for me. I get a huge amount of positive feedback working with my team, but in the end, I just get this positive feeling that maybe I've made some small difference in somebody's life. And I may not be the person that they remember because of them having anesthesia. Very, very few people are ever going to remember my name um, or my face because I have a mask on my face. Of course, we're all wearing masks now. (laughs) But they're going to remember the nurses on the floor. But that's okay because I'm part of that team too. I may have started something and then transferred that patient to another department, the recovery room, and then that nurse transfers the patient to the floor. But we're all part of that whole team that tried to make a difference for that patient. And that's really the reason I became a nurse. Yes, I I know I decided when I was five I was (laughs) going to become a nurse, but the reason I stayed is because I've just always felt like I made some difference in somebody's life. And some days are better than others, you know, and some cases are happier than others. And some days I go home really sad inside because I know that whatever we were able to do in surgery may not make an end result in their life. But um, overall, that's, that's the real reason I stayed for 48 years was just the overall satisfaction, you know, and, and good feeling inside. And, um, and now I spend a tremendous amount of time teaching the new nurses. And I guess my hope for that is that I'll make a difference in their life and that I'll make a difference in how they handle their career and what areas they go into. And, um, and so it's been a huge satisfaction for me. One of the things that I try to achieve with the podcast is to promote unity within groups, within professions, within nationalities, but also across the globe. And one of the questions that I've been asking in the last interviews has been, how do you think this and this unites? So how do you think nursing unites? Well, I think it probably does it in so many different ways. I don't know if I can think of it or express it correctly, but I think overall, the general public, no matter where you live, 
thinks of nursing as a good thing. You know, they do these surveys every year, and they conduct these surveys on who's the most trustworthy profession in the country. With the exception of the year 2001, when the World Trade Center was attacked, firemen were voted the most trustworthy profession that year. So well-deserved, of course. But every other year leading up to that and after have been nurses. <laughs> so I think, in general, the, the public considers nurses to be trustworthy, reliant, kind, attending. And most nurses are part of a family. And um, they, they do for their patients what they would want to do for their families. And I guess that's just the uniting part of it is what you, want, what you would do at home for your family, whatever your family unit might be comprised of, you would do it at the hospital or the doctor's office or the walk-in clinic, wherever it might be. And I didn't get, I didn't tell you this, and uh, it just popped into my head, but um, I had the opportunity, rare opportunity of being a patient in another country, in Italy, uh, when I was on vacation with my daughter. And um, it was extremely enlightening and eye-opening for me um, to experience being a patient in a country where I couldn't, didn't understand the language, didn't speak the language, and to um, be fearful because I knew I couldn't communicate on the same level that I could if I was in the United States. But what a wonderful experience in retrospect it was. You were After in Venice, I, got, weren't you? I, I was in Venice. <laughs> and um, what a wonderful experience it was to come home and think about it and evaluate it and realize that the care that I received, even though we couldn't speak the same language, was absolutely incredible. That um, the care um, and kindness that they offered me. I was able to accept even though I couldn't speak the words I would have liked to have done. And um, it, it, was, it was really a, a great opportunity to be able to come home and share with my coworkers and to share with my family that I received great care in another country and that um, it, it was an overall good experience, different experience, but a good experience. And um, I think that helped me in the times that I served in other countries on a health mission. You know, I was the one helping take care of someone. And we had an interpreter. Well, being the patient in the hospital, I didn't have the interpreter, and I was the one receiving that care. And so it was a totally different experience, but a wonderful one in retrospect. And you know, I'm not happy that I had to be in the hospital, but it, it was a very unique experience. Mm -hmm. Do you feel a camaraderie with nurses across the globe? Oh, for sure. I mean, I've had the opportunity to be at a couple of different conventions that were attended by nurses from all over the world. And um, in listening to them as they shared at the convention, you do realize that nursing is pretty oh. universal, no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. Maybe the supplies are different. Your uniform might look different the kind of lights that you have and equipment and stuff like that, but the basics are still there. Mm -hmm. So let's, in, in closing, go back to the introduction. I 
brought up several TV shows and several famous nurses. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I couldn't watch you. I was I was reading my intro. So would you mind reacting to some of those when when I was reading that when I was reading my introduction. Did anything resonate with you? Or did you disagree with any of it? Did you did you resent any of the the the, the little stereotypes that that I was portraying? Yeah. Well, definitely. When I was growing up here in the United States, there were a couple of doctor shows, and um, for the most part, the nurses were extremely subservient to the physicians on the TV show. Um, not in a horrible way on the thirty-minute or hour drama or comedy that they had. But um, just an interesting observation about how nurses were portrayed back in the early 60s. And then um, as some additional shows, whether it was MASH or some of the others that you mentioned, Grey's Anatomy, um, so many times they tried to put all this drama in about what's going on in the linen closet or um, at the scrub sink or wherever it might be, which um, for the probably 99% of us never occurs. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're there to to do our job and to do our best, and we're not off flirting somewhere in the scrub sink area <laughs> with one of our coworkers that we're not supposed to be flirting with. So um, it's just interesting to see some of the shows. And, of course, they usually try to find some extremely unusual, exaggerated um, cases that come into the hospital um, with a diagnosis that no one's ever heard of or... An accident that is uh, monumental and that sort of thing. So, uh, for the most part, on a day-to-day basis, life in the hospital where I work is not anything like <laughs> what's portrayed on TV. Um, but, um, but I sure have watched my share of those shows over the years. <laughs> sure, they're, they're fun to watch. Yeah. Um, do you do you find yourself correcting the procedures? And oh, a and lot. <laughs> yeah, like. You know, especially the, when the scenes where everybody's at scrubbing at the scrub sink and their mask is down around their chin, and you go, well, that's not how that's done, you know. <laughs> or they're, they're, they're cleaning their hands wrong. Or they're yeah, <laughs> it's just, you know, now that's not how it is. Okay. But that's how they make it for TV. Yeah, okay. And what about some of the real-life nurses that I mentioned? Any oh, any thoughts that you yeah, had when I was doing heroes that? in their own right and just um, striving to make a difference in people's lives early on that brought about the kind of nursing that we have today and um, just a tremendous amount of respect for um, primarily those women. I know there had to have been some men that were making strides as well, but primarily women, especially in a time when um, nursing was um, looked down upon, uh, especially if you came from a well-to-do family and you left that well-to-do family to go do basic nursing. That was a horrible thing to go do. And um, and making a difference in the lives of soldiers who were dying from infections that could have been prevented and, and turned their lives around when things got cleaned up, so to speak, especially like in the Crimean War, Civil War, all of those things. You know, we lost so many soldiers from infection not from the initial injury so until we had antibiotics and made some differences so yeah just tremendous amount of respect thank you so much for taking time oh, with me we've, we've, we've kind of uh, hidden out away from the storm and the storm's kind of winding down now so yeah. in closing what would you like to leave the listeners with i'm thankful for the career that i've had in nursing i'm thankful for the opportunities that have been um presented to me over the years and I hope that the listeners know that um, the vast majority of nurses 
want to do the very best they can on a daily basis and sometimes they have limitations that prevent them from doing the kind of care that they would like to give but I know that every person that walks in to their facility every day is doing so with the goal in mind that they're going to do the very best job they can. Thank you. Thank you.